0: I'm anti-tank as a fan. Like I never, I never want my team to actively lose, and I don't think that's what you're saying. But I think there are fans out there, John, that are like that and that want the team to act, to actively lose. And my rebuttal to that would be: Trust me, you don't want that. You do not want of your team to try to lose and to not try to win, because once that seeps into your team, your culture, you're screwed. That's just my little take on that.
1: Well, we're going on a decade, Ryan, since Super Bowl 50. Like, this is what, seven years of. Yeah, but you got it. Just got
0: to keep trying, John. You know, you got to keep. I
1: guess. I guess it's just, it's so frustrating. It's like you said, exactly what you said. It's football purgatory is exactly where the Broncos have been. And I'm just afraid that they're looking at another like five win season. And yeah, I know. I get what you're saying. Like, you don't want to lose in culture, but. I really think like one or two wins compared to five wins. It doesn't seem like a lot, but for draft position, it's a massive, massive difference.
0: Hey there, and welcome into the show. Ryan O'Leary here along with my good friend, John Heath. It's the Broncos Wire podcast brought to you by the USA Today Network. John, of course, is the managing editor of Broncos Wire. Uh, It's great to have you with us this week. You can catch us every week during the season, and uh, if you could subscribe leave a review tell a friend we would appreciate it that's how you can support us john how are you this week
1: i'm doing pretty decent the broncos got this chiefs coming up and then they got their bye week after that i'm honestly kind of ready for that bye week
0: vacation from the broncos or something what's wrong
1: <laughs> yeah exactly i do i do need a a mental break from the broncos because even when they win ryan like i i maybe this makes me a bad fan like i guess people debate about it but even when they win in this kind of a season it's still to me like losing because the Packers are a terrible they're not a terrible team but they're not a good team and them beating the Packers this past week it doesn't convince me that their season is going to be turned around their season's going to be saved it just makes me think okay now we're going to pick fifth overall instead of having a chance for the number one overall pick and like I don't want to beat that horse too much because I know we've talked about it the last few weeks but it's just hard for me to get that excited about beating a bad Packers team, especially with this Chiefs game on deck. Like if they somehow upset the Chiefs, then going into the bye, maybe I'll be like, okay, now maybe they they got something going, but it's just so hard for me to think that that's a realistic possibility. So I guess it's just hard for me not to be pessimistic about the team right now. So yes, I'm ready for a bye and ready for a mental break <laughs> from the Broncos.
0: So you're saying, John, if they would have beat the Chiefs, a couple, what was that, on the Thursday night game, if they would have beat the Chiefs and then came back and beat the Packers, they're on a little win streak, you'd feel a little bit better about this game?
1: Yeah, big time. It's just, like, to me, beating the Packers, doesn't really... I I mean, of course, like I've said before on the pod, like Sean Payton wants to win, the players want to win, I get that. Like, they're not going to intentionally, like, lose games. Like, nobody wants to do that. But just for, like, the long-term state of the team, picking second overall or first overall compared to five or six or seven overall that's a huge huge difference like that could be the difference between a franchise quarterback or not so it's just uh it's hard like and and, and again like I feel like I'm a bad fan saying that but I feel like I'm just trying to think long term instead of just temporary like in the moment when like is it really good to beat the Packers like and they they squeaked by beating the Packers and like the Packers are, they're not doing well this year. So it's just, it didn't impress me.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I get it. I get everything you're saying as a Broncos fan, you feel like you're stuck in football purgatory, right? Like exactly not good enough to win a Super Bowl or even realistically compete for a playoff spot, but you're probably still too talented to land at the bottom of the league. Like we can root for them to lose or whatever some Broncos fans might be doing, but you're never really going to compete with some of these teams. Like, the Panthers and the bears and some of these teams that are, are clearly going to be in a better spot to pick Caleb Williams than you would be right. So that's a, that's a crappy place to be in the NFL. I totally get that. Um, I totally get that. John, I will say this though, to fans who like are actively, and I don't think you're one of these fans. I think I get you're just being kind of pragmatic about the game. I, I totally get that. And there are fake wins in the NFL. I think, Sometimes you beat a team and it's like, okay, what did we learn from that? And maybe we didn't learn a ton from the Broncos beating a team like the Packers who are scuffling right now. Totally get it. Get I get your point. But I know there are some fans out there in Broncos country, and you know who you are listening, who are actively rooting. They want their team to tank, right? They they would rather see Sean Payton tear it down, tank it. Let's go get our quarterback and go forward. And I just think that's the wrong attitude. It's the wrong thing. You you never want that. Like the the second your franchise uh, makes uh, accepts losing, I guess. And that's your culture. Like it's in your culture to be okay with losing. And that's accepted by the coaches, by the players, by the fans. That's even worse than this, whatever purgatory the Broncos are in now, John, you know what I'm saying? Like once losing seeps into your culture, trying to get that. I don't care who, where you pick in the draft, getting that out of you, that takes a, that could, that could take a long time. That could take a decade to get out of you. Once you accept losing, you stop trying. You know what I mean? So I, I'm anti-tank as a fan. Like I never, I never want my team to actively lose, and I don't think that's what you're saying. But I think there are fans out there, John, that are like that and that want the team to act, to actively lose. And my rebuttal to that would be: Trust me, you don't want that. You do not want of your team to try to lose and to not try to win, because once that seeps into your team, your culture, you're screwed. That's just my little take on that.
1: Well, we're going on a decade, Ryan, since Super Bowl 50. Like, this is, what, seven years of Yeah, but you, gotta, the you just got
0: to keep trying, John. You know, you got to keep... I
1: guess. I guess it's just, it's so frustrating. It's, like you said, exactly what you said. It's football purgatory is exactly where the Broncos have been. And I'm just afraid that they're looking at another, like, five-win season. And, yeah, I know. I get what you're saying. Like, you don't want to lose in culture, but... I really think like one or two wins compared to five wins it doesn't seem like a lot but for draft position it's a massive massive difference. So, we'll see. Like I said, we'll we'll talk about the Chiefs game a little bit more later in the podcast, but uh yeah, going into the bye week with uh the final games of the season, if they lose that Chiefs game like yeah, it's going to be hard for me, Ryan, to not uh try to embrace the tank. You're going to have to talk me out of uh encouraging the broncos to tank if they lose on sunday
0: oh i'm here for that argument we could do that every week john i'm fine i mean because i know broncos fans are so wrapped up in this caleb williams thing and and i know you you love caleb williams you love talking about the the prospect of that and i get it but like you don't need to draft number one overall to get a franchise quarterback you just got to find it like jalen hurts was a second round pick lamar jackson was number 32 overall we know russell wilson was a third rounder right Dak prescott fourth round Brock Purdy. Come on. Mystery relevant, right? I mean, he's he was in the NFC championship game last year. You don't have like since when do you have to draft number one overall to like fix your football team, right? That I don't necessarily don't think that's the case. You
1: don't have to. It just makes it a higher percentage if it's someone that is viewed as like a, a generational prospect. Like those all those guys you listed are great examples of guys that were not a super high pick, but They're more of the exception to the norm than the norm. When you look across the NFL, excuse me, when you look across the NFL at like the top, top quarterbacks, a lot of them coming into the league were viewed as the top, top quarterback prospects. So, like a uh, a Joe Burrow kind of a guy, a Trevor Lawrence kind of a guy, someone that's viewed as like a can't miss prospect, and, and again, like there's no guarantees. There's nobody that's literally a can't miss prospect, but I think it just the percentages are increased when it's a guy that is viewed as a top of the pi- a top of the draft opposed to someone who's like a second round pick or a third or a fourth round prospect. Like, yes, of course those guys can come good and become good quarterbacks. But you know, that just counting on that happening is not very practical.
0: Yeah. I hear what you mean. Maybe Caleb Williams is one of these unicorns, but those unicorns are hard to find, right? I think they're, I think we've seen two unicorns in the last two or three decades, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes. Those are the unicorns. And we're still waiting for the next one. Maybe, you know, maybe it's Caleb Williams. I don't know, but I'm just going to guess, John, that when Sean Payton's out there saying, Hey, look, look, Look at the Lions in 2022. They started 1 and 6 and they finished that year with a 9 and 8 record. Like, you know, don't count us out yet. We're still going to try. So that's that's rubbing you the wrong way, that kind of attitude?
1: Oh no, no. It's not rubbing me the wrong way. I like you said like you don't want a losing mentality. I want the players and I want the coaches to want to win. Like I think that's the right mentality to have. But like you said, just looking at it like pragmatically and realistically, like I want them to think that and I want them to think they can win games. But I just don't believe it. Like I think they're going to end up with like five wins this year. And to me, that does nothing for them. Like I'm not saying they should like intentionally like like I'm not saying players should not try. Obviously, they should. They should want to win. I'm it's just from a fan's perspective it's kind of like a, a can't win situation because if they win a couple games it hurts them long term if they just constantly lose every week then that's just super depressing to watch so it's just it's kind of like a can't win situation from my perspective
0: yep no that makes perfect sense to me and it's i i think you're a lot of broncos fans are probably sharing in that sentiment and it's again you're in a tough spot you're not you're not quite You're not quite bad enough right now, John, to get down to the bottom, right? You're just not. There's too many good players on the team. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I mean, maybe this game against Kansas City, does that do anything in terms of changing the mindset for George Payton at the trade deadline, right? Right after this game, a couple days later, is the trade deadline, John, right? So if you lose this game, you drop to two and six. What does that mean for the trade deadline for the Broncos, right? Are they more inclined to listen to an offer for Pat Sertan? Are they going to finally unload a guy like Jerry Judy who, uh, you know, I'm not sure how the organization feels about that player at this point, player organization. I don't know. You know, you could probably have some hot takes on that people out there, you know, like names like Judy, Cortland Sutton. These names have been in trade rumors all the time is, are the Broncos more likely to pull the trigger on a trade and become sellers at the deadline? uh, If they lose to the chiefs and fall to two and six, or maybe they reverse that or maybe Stan Pat if they win this game and now you're three and five and you're not quite out of it yet. Like that's interesting. I think that when we start talking about Broncos chiefs here in a, in a little bit, I think that's kind of an interesting little side topic is how that game, the result of that game this weekend, how does that affect the Broncos approach to the trade deadline? What's, what's your gut telling you, John?
1: Yeah, I think they're not going to be sellers in the sense of trading someone just for the sake of trading them and like, well, let's just get whatever we can, even if it's like a six round pick. Like I really don't think they would do that with someone like Jerry Judy. And certainly like, they're not going to be like, okay, well, let's trade Pat Sertan for a third round pick. Cause we're not doing anything this year. Like there's no way that would happen. But I do think like if you, if sellers, if that's what someone means by like sellers, like dumping players just to get rid of them, get rid of their contracts just to get something back in return. I don't think that's going to happen. But I do definitely think they could move some people. And I think you mentioned him, Jerry Judy. I think he's the biggest name to watch. Like Cortland Sutton is possible, but it seems like Cortland Sutton is clearly Russell Wilson's favorite target. He already has five touchdown catches this year. His career high is six, and we're not even halfway through the season. So it seems like he's definitely on pace to have the best season, at least touchdown-wise, of his career. So if they're going to trade a receiver, I think Judy is more likely to be traded Than Cortland Sutton. And I think they'll listen to offers for either, but really with Sutton, I don't think anybody would give them something that would make it worth their while. Whereas with Judy, like if you can get a third round pick for Judy, I think that's worth it to them because they have other guys like that from Sean Payton's time with the saints and they can, they just drafted Marvin Mims. They can draft people again next year. Like I think they'd be able to replace Jerry Judy, like the potential of Jerry Judy It's been higher every year he's been in Denver than his actual production. Like we want him to be an elite receiver, but he never really has been. And so if they can get a third round pick for him, I don't know, like I might even think about a fourth round pick, but I think it's just super unrealistic to expect a second or higher than a second. I think that's just not going to happen. But I, I think Judy is the biggest name to watch. Pat Sertan, if they lose to the Chiefs, Teams might call about him, but I really doubt they would entertain offers for him because he's such an elite player. And like if they did have like a fire sale and loaded up on a bunch of picks, like Sertan is exactly the kind of guy you want to get picks to draft. And they already have him and he's still on a rookie contract and he has a fifth year option. So it just it makes no sense for them to move on from someone like him, someone like. Justin Simmons, I think, is a lot more interesting because he's getting older. Like Pat Sertan, you could in theory have him for like the next decade. So it doesn't make any sense to trade him. But Justin Simmons, he's going to be turning 30 years old. He's not going to be for the long haul with the Broncos. Like maybe he has two or three really good seasons left in him. But uh if you can get like a first round pick for him, and again, maybe I'm being delusional, maybe nobody would give him a first round pick, especially after that. Eagles, Titans trade. But if they got a high pick for Simmons, I think they should and maybe would consider it. But Sertan, I think, is off the table. And I think like the most likely person, I think, and like the name to watch, I think, as a trade deadline approaches is Jerry Judy. And that might be whether they win or lose on Sunday. I think it it just it hasn't really worked out with him with the Broncos. He hasn't really reached his potential. And, you know, maybe a fresh start for him would be good. And maybe for the Broncos to get a draft pick and not have to give Judy a big deal or just, you know, just wide receiver money after his rookie contract. Like, maybe they don't want to do that. So I think Judy's the name to watch. Sartain, I don't think is going anywhere. And Simmons, I think, is kind of the wild card.
0: Yeah, I I like all that. What you just said, nodding along with you. I mean, Jerry Judy, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Judy's. I am a fan of the Patriots. That's my team. And I I want Belichick to pick up the phone. I want him to offer like a fourth round pick for Judy. And I think if they do, if the Patriots do that, I think the Broncos should do it. I think Judy and the Broncos, they could just, I think a, a divorce could be good for both sides. I just don't think it's quite working out. I think Judy's got some potential. I just don't think he's realizing it in Denver. And it might be time for him to go get a change of scenery. A place like New England, Judy would be the man in that offense. He'd be the guy. He'd be their number one receiver. They have no one close to as good as Jerry Judy. Uh, and I think that would help the Patriots if they're trying to actually make good on their horrible skill position what they've put around Mac Jones I think Judy the Patriots makes a lot of sense I you know if you believe the rumors the Patriots have sniffed around there before so I would go with a fourth round pick Judy. I mean John I remember we talked about I think maybe it was last year at the deadline or in the off season, people the Broncos were they wanted a second round pick for Judy or whatever I just we never thought that was realistic I think a third would be I'd be ecstatic as a Broncos fan if I could get a third for Judy I think I would do it for a fourth. I just think it would be fine for both sides just to move on at that point. But and, and this is assuming the Broncos lose to the Chiefs and we're heading down the, you know, we're heading down towards a non playoff season again and we have nothing to play for. You know me. I'm not quite giving up on that yet. Uh Pat Sertan. There's no way I'm trading Pat Sertan. No way. Like, what are you gonna trade Pat Sertan? You're gonna trade Pat Sertan for like a second round pick? What are you gonna get for him? And and you know what I mean? Like, but that's what people are probably gonna offer, right? For him. Yeah. And what like you're never gonna get a player as good as Pat Sertan in the second round. The only reason you would ever consider that, John, is if you don't want to pay him. And then that would be a whole nother argument where we could. And that's still still years away anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you don't have to pay him yet. So or or maybe it's smarter to do that sooner rather than later, right? I mean, maybe if they don't trade Pat Sertan, they should work on getting him extended or something. I don't know, but That's the only reason you're trading Pat Sertan is if you don't think you can pay him and you can, you can, especially the Broncos. So, yeah, I think that's an interesting conversation. We'll see, right? We'll see what happens in this chiefs game. Speaking of Sertan, John, an interesting little play in this game that fans are are probably still talking about as we speak on social media. Was this, was it an interception or was it a catch by Romeo Dobbs? It was the simultaneous catch Sertan and Dobbs in the end zone. Uh, We've both been watching this highlight quite a bit. What do you think? It was ruled a touchdown on the field. What's your take on it? And then I'll give you mine. What do you think?
1: Yeah, initially when I watched it live, I was watching the game with my uh, brother. Shout out to him, Jeremiah. He's a huge, huge Broncos fan. And I was watching the game with him. And uh, when it happened live, like he thought it was a uh, interception. It's very hard for him to watch Broncos games without orange and blue sunglasses. <laughs> yes. And and I was like, well, when it's simultaneous possession, you know, that always goes to the offense. Like that's just a rule. Simultaneous, the offense gets the ball. But then after the game, uh, Jeff Legwood was the pool reporter and he got to talk to the official and the official said that they ruled the receiver had control the ball the whole way through. And the reporter was like, okay, so like simultaneous possession goes to the offense. And the referee was like, no, we didn't rule that it was simultaneous possession. We just ruled that the receiver had it. And when I saw that, I was like, well, that's kind of weird. Like, if if that was their ruling, like, okay, they both had the ball, the tie goes to the offense, I would have been like, okay, fine, whatever. That's the rule. But for him to say it wasn't even that, and that, like, in his mind, the receiver clearly had it the whole way, I was like, I don't know about that. And just talking about this play to you before we started recording, you mentioned how when Dobbs gets down to the ground, he kind of pulls away from Sertan. And I think to me, too, that is something that it's like, okay, that he kind of, like, asserted himself, like, this is my ball, and, like, right at the end of the play, took it away. And I think that was kind of, uh, like, the nail in the coffin for Sertan. But the referee, he also said nothing about that either. So. I think like just watching the play, I'm not surprised that it's ruled an offensive touchdown, but I didn't love the referee's explanation for it and his like how he got to his decision of it being a touchdown like i I get that a play like that is going to be calling the offense's favor. I just thought the referee had a weird explanation for it
0: yeah I think I think you're dead on there I think you know it's hard to have a huge issue with how the call was how the call ended up how it ended up in Green Bay's favor I, I get it. Like, you know, usually I know it's simultaneous possession. It I guess the tie goes to the offensive player, but usually it's the, it goes to the guy on his back. Right. But in this case, Dobbs and Sertan both land on their back. It was that extra little jolt. Like you said, when Dobbs kind of does his extra little spin and he ends up with the ball and, and then he kind of spins away from Sertan. Now he's on his back with the ball. It's clearly his ball. I think if Sertan did that and they called it for Dobbs, I would be ripping the rest right now and saying they got it wrong but the fact that Dobbs wrestled it away but again that's gray area like how lo- how long are we going to let them wrestle around in the end zone before we call it a exactly. touchdown yeah. you know usually that plays over once it crosses the goal line and there's possession so i totally get your point like they both had it they were both on their backs initially dobbs rolled over so i i guess i'm fine giving it to him but that explanation by the refs make no sense that's a bunch of bull crap that's a, a terrible uh, explanation by the officials but at the end of the day i don't have a problem with it I can't imagine Broncos fans are losing sleep over this right John are they I mean the Broncos yeah, won. Well,
1: the good thing is it did not end up deciding the game if yeah. the Broncos lost then everybody would have been freaking out about that I think mm-hmm. nobody's losing a sleep about it because it didn't decide the game but I think people aren't gonna like us both saying that it was probably a touchdown because I know a lot of people very emphatically think that Sertan had an interception but I think you're spot on there with him with Dobbs pulling away from the ball, if Sertan did that same exact thing, if the play ended with Sertan yanking away and having the ball like that, I think in real time they would have ruled it in an interception, and then I think they would have stuck with that call. So, I, like, But they didn't say that was the reason, but I think just in real time as that happened, I think that impacted the ruling, and I think if Sertan was the one doing that, I think it would have gone the other direction. So, I mean, it was a very weird play because they literally – both have both their hands firmly on the ball. Like it literally was a simultaneous catch. And it's just the rule is if they both have it, then the tie goes, the offense, they just didn't explain it like that. So I thought that was weird, but I think we can't really have too much beef about that. It's just a, it's a weird play and they got to break the tie somehow.
0: Yeah. Maybe Sertan can use that as a learning experience and just keep wrestling. Never, never stop wrestling. Even if you're in the end zone, yeah. I don't know. That's a tough one. Um, but, I don't have a huge issue with it going to green Bay. Uh, I'm fine with it, but the refs are idiots as usual, John, they should just close their mouths. <laughs> um, the other big story for the Broncos, John is Kareem Jackson um he's getting suspended. Uh, so he's been ejected twice this season, including this game against green Bay. We've talked about this in the past. I don't think he's a dirty player. I think he's just like really getting unlucky. He's trying to be a, a good, fast hard hitting defensive player and he's just getting himself in these bang bang situations where sometimes you know you're trying to hit the guy in the shoulder or the chest and you hit him in the head and it's not intentional i I still think that's the case for kareem jackson uh and maybe that's why this suspension was reduced right from four games to two but what's your take on on jackson and what's going on with him i mean Two ejections this year, all the flags, the 15-yard penalties, it's not good. He's going to have to figure out a way to to stop doing this, obviously, even though I don't think he's intentionally trying to do it, and I don't think he's a headhunter or anything like that. He's got to figure out something. He's got to go back to the drawing board and practice and figure out what's going on here, John. Um, You don't want to lose the speed in your game, but you got to stop getting flagged and ejected for stuff like this, and also the pocketbook.
1: I think the problem with him is now that he has done it a handful of times, there's almost like a target on his back from officials that like something that looks like a brutal hit, he's more likely to be called than just some random person like doing a show some like putting their shoulder pad in someone's chest. Like, that is legal, and you do see that in NFL games every weekend, and a lot of times they're not called. But I think Kareem Jackson, he puts a shoulder in someone's chest, and it just looks like a huge collision because he has all these fines, and now he's got this suspension. I think it's just kind of like, oh, Kareem Jackson did it again, flag. And so I think he's kind of a victim of that a little bit. There are people who have been saying on Twitter that, like, he's a dirty player and, like, they don't like that he's affiliated with the Broncos and stuff like that. And I just – I don't agree with that. I don't think he's a dirty player. I think like you said, he's not, but I assume he's not trying to be malicious. I think like you said, some of it's just bad luck where he puts his shoulder pad down and is trying to hit someone in the chest. And then the opponent slips or like they turn their head and it ends up being like a head to head collision. And he's not trying to do that. But at the same time, like intention like the refs don't rule by intention like if there is a hit in the head or neck area on a defensive receiver like that's a foul in today's nfl and like i i get the reasoning for it i totally understand like you don't want guys getting hit hit in the head like head injuries are extremely serious neck injuries are extremely serious so i understand why they want to protect players like that's totally reasonable but from J- Jackson's perspective I also understand him being like hey I'm just trying to like you said hit someone hard legally with my shoulder and their chest to break the pass up and knock the ball out. so it's a tough spot to be in and like I was thinking about today I was like he can't really like go for someone's knees like he I mean he could go for someone's knees but like for the player for the opponent that's almost even worse for them than getting hit like in the chest and the neck area uh, as far as like this season. Because if they blow out their knee, they're done for the year or maybe even a season-ending injury. So he he can't be like diving at knees. If you dive at ankles, like they might, you know, stay up through that. It might not knock the ball out. Like uh, if you – the I guess what the NFL wants them to do, and like maybe this is just common sense, is just like a form tackle of keep his head up, put his head like by the side of the player's waist, wrap his arms around the player's waist and like drive them to the ground. And I guess for him, like the reason you don't want to do that is because a shoulder to the chest is much more likely to knock the ball out when a receiver is trying to catch a pass, than you know, form tackling him around the waist and driving him to the ground. Like if, if he does that fast, like it might still end up knocking the ball, but just like, imagine, you know, this is a podcast. So I'm trying to like show my hands, like holding my hands out, like out in front of my body. If someone hits me in the chest, I'm probably likely to drop that ball. But if I hold my hands out, like out in front of my body and someone wraps me up around my waist and tackles me, like it might be painful. I might get driven back, but it's a whole lot easier for me to hold on to the ball. So I think that's kind of Jackson's like conundrum. Like Yes, I can do a form tackle right here, but then he's going to make this catch. Like, I want to knock him back and and knock the ball out, and that's why he's going for these chest shots. It's just a lot of them ending up in the head or neck area. And and again, like, not always his fault. It's just kind of a fluky way, the way a player turns or a player falls. So it's a tough spot for him to be in. Like, I'm very curious, when this two-game suspension is over, is he going to go right back to just launching in people's chests, or is he going to be a little more conservative and try to do more form tackles like around the waist and just try to drive people to the ground and hope like just a a fast tackle like that can also knock the ball out. So I don't know. It's a tough spot for him to be in. He, he's got to, you know, I guess he's just got to try to get his form and his technique cleaner. But like you said, I'm not super mad at him. I don't think he's like a dirty player. I don't think he's trying to be malicious.
0: Now people saying that he's a dirty player and that he's, it's a shame that he's affiliated with the Broncos. you you're going too far. It's football. two decades ago, that was a, a celebrated hit. You know what I mean? Like people would applaud that hit two decades ago. You know guys' helmets would get knocked off and we'd be like, yeah, nice hit. Ah, oh, here we go. you know what I mean? that was football. He's not trying to do it. He's just trying to he's trying to toe the line and play hard football, and he's not you know he's he's not trying to play flag football out there. I actually think you you should toe the line as a defensive player, and you should try to get in there. Now, when it's becoming a thing, and you're you're the refs are watching you closely, and you're getting flagged, you're getting fined, you're getting suspended. Yeah, you're right. You you need to go back with the coaches and try to figure it out, John. hundred percent. But come on, like he's playing defense the way you're supposed to, fast, hitting hard. Like I actually think the hitting in the NFL is getting getting better. I think it's getting less soft. I think this year guys are kind of getting after it this year. I think, and they're, they're towing the line. They're mostly going by the rules. I don't think anyone's out there trying to really annihilate the other player and, and you know, in their career or anything like that. I think it's just good, hard football. I think that's what Kareem Jackson's doing. He's been a little unlucky. He's got to go back to the drawing board a little bit, but come on, a uh, dirty player. Uh, I would stop at that. Uh, I don't think he was trying to hit the guy in the head. I just think it was just, it's circumstantial. It's football. You're going hundred miles per hour. How can you really, how can you really, you know, every time you say, I'm going to hit, I'm going to hit a moving target in the same spot every time. Right. John, it's just not possible. So I just think calling him dirty and all that stuff, that's just going a little too far, but you know, we're in agreement. Yeah. But Hey, you've been fine all these times. Now you've been ejected twice. You should probably get sat down for a little while and think about it and and try to remedy the situation. So I'm sure that's what Kareem Jackson and the Broncos are going to do. They're also going to try to get ready for the Kansas City Chiefs, John. Part two of this one, uh, this season. We just saw these guys. We're going to see them again. Uh, John and I will get into that matchup here coming up next. But first, fantasy advice for week eight.
2: Corey Bonini here with the huddle.com to bring you fantasy football strong plays for week number eight quarterback Derek Carr, New Orleans Saints at Indianapolis Colts. Even though he has just one multiple touchdown game in 2023, he has gone over 300 yards in each of the last two contests. Indy has allowed the 13th most fantasy points per game to quarterbacks, but that number is depressed from facing Cleveland and Tennessee. Four QBs have posted at least 21 fantasy points versus Indy this year, and Carr has the weaponry to make it five. Running back Raheem Mostert, Miami Dolphins at New England Patriots. Mostert rocked New England in week two when the Pats heavily focused on keeping Tyreek Hill from owning them. In that first meeting, Mostert rushed 18 times for 121 yards and scored twice. The Pats have surrendered totally neutral ground numbers since that game, and the majority of success against them has come via the passing game. Even after last week's flop, Mostert has still played far too well to be left on your bench. Make sure to lock him into all lineups. Wide receiver Gabe Davis, Buffalo Bills, vs. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. After a month of strong play, Davis has turned in consecutive fantasy flops. The Buccaneers present a matchup that profiles well for volume, but not so much for big play types like Davis. That said, it's tough to run on Tampa, tight ends rarely fare well, and this defense will have all it can do to slow Stephon Diggs. We like Davis's odds for getting into the end zone this week, and he's a pretty safe bet for at least 15 fantasy points. Tight end Jake Ferguson, Dallas Cowboys vs. Los Angeles Rams. Ferguson comes off of his bye for a matchup with a top 10 opponent in terms of ease of exploitation, and he deserves a line of spot in all weekly formats. The Rams have allowed three touchdowns to the position and 13.7 points per game in PPR on the year. But the kicker is that all of those scores have come in the last five weeks. This is the second best yardage matchup since week two's conclusion. Ferguson really could challenge for a top five spot this week in fantasy scoring. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com.
0: All right, we're back. Uh, John, Broncos-Chiefs. It was a close game, of course. I picked the Broncos to uh, cover that game. I think it was a 10.5-point spread. They, of course, lost by 11 uh, to the Chiefs because that's what happens when I pick them. Uh, but I was feeling good about that game going in. I th- I thought the Chiefs were just not quite... They're not quite operating like the well-oiled machine that they're going to be post-Thanksgiving. I keep saying that, and I still believe it. Uh, but the Chiefs are, once again, an 8-point favorite this week. Can, do you think the Broncos can pull off the upset this time, playing in their home building? What do you think?
1: Can they? Yes. Will they It's a different story. <laughs> yeah. I think their defense played them so le- well. It, I almost said last week because it feels like it was just last week. It was not that long ago back in week six, but their defense played so well against the Chiefs last time. If their defense puts in another performance like that, really we just need Russell Wilson to protect the ball because that was the difference last time around the Broncos lost the turnover battle and otherwise like their defense played well their special teams well, played well the only negative was the offense did not hold up their end of the bargain and unfortunately that trend of the offense not playing that well kind of continued against the Packers this last week so that has me worried like the defense definitely you know seems like it's trending in the right direction from earlier this season the defense has really gotten back on track but kind of simultaneously with that the offense seems to have kind of taken a step backward and and weirdly like the last few years the chiefs have not had a very good defense this year it seems like kansas city kind of has a legit defense and that is troubling for, you know in the afc and in the afc west even more so for the broncos so with their offense not looking that sharp against green bay with their offense struggling against the chiefs last time even with this game being at home in Denver, like even if the Broncos defense can slow down Kansas city a little bit, I, I just can't have confidence in their offense to make this a game that they're going to win. Like th- maybe they'll keep it tight like that. The The last time it ended up being 11 point game, like you said, but it really was a closer game at least to me, it seemed like a closer game than that final score looked like. And I think this week again, they could probably stick it close with them and keep it tight. But even playing at home, I can't pick the Broncos to win this game. I think the Chiefs are going to beat them again. And like I said at the beginning of the podcast, it's just a depressing place to be in, Ryan.
0: Yeah, it is. Especially, you know, I mean, the Chiefs lead the all-time series 72-55. to So, I mean, Broncos fans are used to losing to the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes especially, he's never lost to the Broncos. <laughs> so, he's 12-0 and against the Broncos. Uh, and they've, like you said, they've won 16 straight. So, uh, it, this is just, it's never fun to play Kansas city, but you know, to your point, Kansas city, they've only won one of the last four matchups by multiple scores. These are usually closer games. So that's why you got to look at the spread. Uh, and think maybe the Broncos have a chance to at least cover if they can't have a chance to yeah, win it. I just think, yeah. I just think you nailed it with the offense. I mean, saying they struggled against the chiefs, John was you, you were being very nice, uh, because Russell Wilson, didn't he finish under a hundred yards passing in the game? They couldn't do anything. They could do anything. Yeah. And the Chiefs are better at defense, 100%. They have a good defense this year. Are they so dominant that you can't pass for over 100 yards? No, they're not. They're not. So come on, Sean Payton, Russell Wilson, what do you you got? Can you bring a little bit more juice? Because if you can, maybe you can stick with this team a little bit. I'm sure the Chiefs will be a little bit better than they were uh, in in that matchup at, at Arrowhead. I mean, those games are always ugly on Thursday night, right? So you're always getting kind of the, the, the second tier effort usually for these teams are just not quite ready to go on a Thursday. You, we've, we've seen that over the years with the Thursday night football product. The Chiefs will probably be a better team than you saw in Arrowhead. The Broncos need to be way better, right? To, to stay, stay in this game, especially on offense. I'm looking at Sean Payton here. Like what happened in that first game? You got to fix that thing, right? I mean, they have to figure out a way to move the ball and score. Teams have moved the ball against Kansas City's defense this year. The Chargers did it last week. You should be able to, too. So, yeah, I think my eyes are on the offense, John. They have to put up points. If you're going to beat the Chiefs, you got to score. you got to score usually at least in the high 20s. So do the Broncos have that in them? I think that's the big question.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's more on Russell Wilson than Sean Payton because in that first Chiefs game, Wilson seemed so gun-shy. Like he was so afraid to push the ball down sure. the field. Uh, It it just seemed like he was holding it too long, not really taking shots, doing a lot of dink and dunk kind of stuff. And like, for an, to an extent this season that has worked a little bit but you got to mix it up. You got to take shots down the field and he just would not do that against the Chiefs and then against the Packers this past week it kind of carried over that game where he seemed so gun shy. He just he was not aggressive and maybe he was not aggressive against the Packers cuz he had two interceptions against the Chiefs and he didn't want to do that again. But like you you can't play afraid as a quarterback especially in a game when you're going up against Patrick Mahomes and even though Denver's defense is playing better lately like you know the Chiefs have the ability to score points they have the ability to score points quickly like Denver's offense got to get a spark you got to have chunk plays you got to move the ball you got to put points on the board and I think Wilson he's just he's not going to be tentative and also like at this point for Wilson what do you have to lose like you have nothing to lose just go for it like let it rip Like Cortland Sutton, go get it. Even, you know, Jerry Judy over the middle of the field and and Marvin Mims. Like, I guess that it it does, it is partially Sean Payton as well. Like it's obviously not on Russell Wilson, like Sean Payton, get, Marvin Mims down the field and tell Russell Wilson launch this ball to Marvin Mims and have him go run under it because he has crazy speed and he's got to be able to scheme up something where they can get a safety like giving Cortland Sutton attention or something and get find a way to get Marvin Mims one-on-one and give him that Russell Wilson moon ball like they got to find a way to get shots down the field I guess it is it is on Wilson and Peyton because Peyton's got to scheme up the plays but Wilson's got to do it and when it's there he's got to take the opportunity
0: yeah, no, you took the words right out of my mouth. Let it. What do you have to lose? You're two and two and five, going on two and six here, uh, then into a trade deadline where we don't know what's going to happen. Right? If you're a two and six, ball. Game. You also you haven't beat Kansas City since 2015. John, what were you doing in 2015? In my life, that was eight years ago. My life was mm-hmm. so different eight years ago. Like, uh, like we could go through all the things that have been different in the last eight years in the world. <laughs> like the Broncos haven't beat the Chiefs in eight years. I I was working for a tiny little newspaper in New Hampshire. I hadn't even met my wife yet. Now I'm married for like five or six years now, married with a kid. Like My life is completely different. Now I live in Minnesota. My life is completely different. And that was eight years ago. I mean, come on. What do you have to lose? Go out there and yeah, Marvin Mims, get him off the milk carton. I'm nodding along with everything you're saying, please. Like, can we just try to attack them instead of just trying not to lose? I mean, good God, you're playing the Chiefs go out there and let it rip and see what happens. No, I I totally agree. Uh now the question, John, do you think they'll do that? Do you think they can cover this 8-point spread? What's your what's your gut telling you?
1: Yeah, I was just thinking back 2015. I was still in college. That was the <laughs> first year that I started with Broncos wire. So it was a very good wow. year for me. And, wow, good and 2015 for you. obviously was the year they won the Super Bowl. Yep. But uh since then, covering the Broncos has been kind of disastrous.
0: Did you start as a writer John for the site or did you start as the editor?
1: I I was writing. I mean both, editing and writing
0: for right, the site. Right, 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 right. Uh, okay.
1: But um yeah, they've they've lost 16 straight to Kansas City and that's the longest active streak one team has beaten another team in the NFL it's a it obviously it's something that the Broncos want to break even though like Sean Payton just got here and he gets very grumpy about people bringing up long-standing stats that go back to before he got here but I mean he's 0-1 against the Chiefs so far he'll be 0-2 if he Dunson uh, if he doesn't beat them on Sunday and that would extend the streak to 17 games so that's obviously something they want to end and like you said eight point spread you know I do think that is something that is possible. Last week, it was going to be – or excuse me, I keep saying last week. The last time they played the Chiefs, it was going to be eight points before that field goal. So I do think it is something that is feasible. If you want to you know, back the Broncos some way, I guess picking them to cover the spread is something you could think about doing. I just wouldn't pick them to win the game. I just – like i hope they do like i want to beat the chiefs i want to break this losing streak even even me like the guy who wants a high draft pick like i want to beat the chiefs i want to break this stupid streak i just i can't uh i can't back them to do it i predict the broncos are going to lose but if you think they can cover eight points like i'm not going to be mad at you for that
0: yeah no i hear you I mean, and yeah, eight years ago, John, I was covering high school field hockey. So you think, think watching Broncos games are tough. We'll cover some high school (laughs) field hockey. That's, that's, that's a whole new ball game. But uh, yeah, I mean, come on. Uh, Can never keep it close. They always keep it close with the Chiefs. So I think it's definitely possible. Do I want to back them here to, do I, to cover the spread? Boy, it's, it's a tough call. It's a tough call. I'm going to do it. I'm with you, John. I'm going to do it. Um, I'm going to just say you're at home. You've played this team tough in the past. You played them tough just a couple weeks ago why not i think you could cover this spread but i'm with you i would i would find this very surprising if they could pull off the win against kansas city we just know how this story goes we just know how this one ends uh and then you're probably going to be two and six going into this trade deadline and then that will be uh very fascinating john i'm sure on broncos wire going you know maybe after this game your attention will be on the deadline right the trade deadline what's what's what should folks be looking for on the site
1: Yeah, we'll have – I mean, we'll be all over the trade deadline. Leading up this week, uh, before the Chiefs game, we'll have the usual, like the TV map, Q&A exchange with Chiefs wire. We'll have all that stuff leading up to the Chiefs game. And then, obviously, during and after the game, we'll have coverage of that Chiefs game. But kind of on Monday and Tuesday, we'll be all over the trade deadline of, you know, Teams or excuse me, players, they might trade players. They should not trade. And I'm sure there's going to be reports about teams calling, you know, what teams are calling, what which players they're calling about. We'll be all, all over that on Broncos Wire. So keep an eye on that in the coming days.
0: Yep. Broncos Wire has got you covered up until kickoff and beyond, especially the trade deadline. That'll be fascinating. John and I will be back to uh, break all of that down next week. Um, In the meantime, enjoy the game. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Subscribe and tell a friend. Leave a review. All that good stuff if you can. Again, we appreciate you. John and I will catch you next week.